Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking today with Bob DeWay, author of Critical Issues Commentary and teacher and theologian at Gospel of Grace Fellowship. We've talked a little bit in the last two episodes about Watchman Nee, and we spent the last episode just defining some terms about sanctification and true and false converts, and today we're going to really dive into some of the teachings of Watchman Nee. Now, you had some quotes that you wanted to start with. I will just let you take it from here. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a lot of them. As we pointed out last week, he, he keeps warning us about being soulish or soulical. And one of the main problems with our soul is that's where our mind is. Right. And uh, he's saying that our spirit is joined to the Holy Spirit, so, which is true, but then that anatomical thing has to come into play for us to learn how to walk after the Spirit. As we said, we have to distinguish. Let me just quote some from here. I have the, the spiritual man that's his, one of his books, this is volume two. He writes, quote, the person who dwells within shall reveal Christ in them, sanctify them, lead them into true spiritual heights. Even so, Christians often do not appreciate the exalted position which this person occupies, and thus descended into despising his indwelling and to following instead the dictates of their mind. These individuals, says Nia, ought to humble themselves before such light and learn to respect such a holy presence and be willing to allow him to work. Now, the, this is consistent. We made some quotes last time that the Holy Spirit's indwelling us, but goofy us, we're, we're, we're using our mind. Okay. He even warns about using our mind to study the Bible and follow the Bible as if that were guiding us, when in fact, the indwelling spirit should be what's guiding us, not the dictates of our mind. And so okay. the problem is, according to Dee, we're, we may be studying the Bible, studying theology, believing the Word of God, trying to live accordingly, but the Spirit is in down deep inside the person. And again, how we distinguish is kind of a mystery. And we're supposed to be following this inner unction or intuition of the Spirit, but we keep following our mind. So we're supposed to set aside our mind and and. When I think intuition, I think of gut feelings. So we're kind of to be led by these gut feelings that are supposedly from the Holy Spirit. Is that what he's saying? Well, that's how it appears. It never really made sense to me, even though I tried to do it, as I said, for five years. I remember when I was in Bible college in 74, the year I graduated, I was carrying these books like these around because I was reading them, trying to do it. And I had a couple of professors see that and stop me and say, you know, you're going to get in trouble if you try to follow that stuff. Literally. Right. These were Pentecostal Bible college teachers. They weren't anti-spiritual. Okay. The Assemblies of God 
in the 70s was certainly known for having a high view of the need for the work of the Spirit. I disagree with their distinction between ordinary Christians and Spirit-filled Christians. But even in that setting, the well-taught teachers saw danger in this watchman need teaching. Right. We touched on this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, um, this idea of intuition. But we need to use our minds to evaluate anything, whether it's our gut feeling or something we're being told from the pulpit or what we're reading in the Bible, all of it, in order to actually apply God's word to any situation in our life, we have to use our mind to think about it. And I may have a gut feeling that I should or should not do that. We're not denying that there is intuition, but whether it's right or wrong or from the spirit, we have to use our mind to take what we know from God's word and apply it to whatever decision we're making or whatever it is we're thinking this intuition is telling us we ought to do. Our intuition's not infallible. Well, that's absolutely right. And that's where the danger lies. And so Nee takes uh, the idea of the temple. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 3.16, I'm just quoting from Nee here. Okay. Do you know that you're God's temple? God's Spirit dwells in you. So that's Paul's analogy that Christians are indwelled by the Spirit. But he takes that whole thing as allegory about the temple being the outer court, you know, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, and so on. Okay. Says, it is nevertheless in the Holy of Holies where God actually dwells with the Holy Spirit and outer court standing for those spheres, divine activity, which are in accordance with God's presence in the holiest. Answering truly to this typology, says me, God's spirit dwells now in our spirit, the antitype in our time of the Holy of Holies. So being dwelt by the spirit, according to me, is an anatomical or geographical issue. So there's an actual space then where the Holy Spirit dwells? Well, that's what's very confusing about this because the passages in the Bible are talking about the whole person. Right. I don't see how we could get that from that passage about... Well, no, being... you can't. It's an it's, it's allegorical use of the Bible. It's not a type that's other than the fact that Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is absolutely true. But see, the, one of the things that helped me when I got myself extracted from this teaching was realizing the Hebrew understanding that the Old and New Testaments are Hebrew documents. Or the, I mean, they're written, the New Testament is written in Greek, but there's a Jewish understanding behind it, all of it. Right. In the Jewish way of thinking, humans are holistic. The whole person is, is important. And the heart is the whole inner person, not some categories that are divided up like a doctor would learn anatomy if he went to medical school. Okay. So Nee says, though, your spirit, if you can even distinguish that, his whole system depends on it, but it's even very questionable. It's somehow 
the only place where the Spirit of God dwells. So therefore, you better learn how to get in touch with your spirit if you want to be following the Holy Spirit. Reading the Bible with your mind, believing what it says, knowing it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and trusting what God promised in the Bible, and living accordingly, according to me, may leave you no more than a soulish, carnal man or woman. So then it almost seems like he's saying God speaks to us through our spirit right. by the means of the Holy Spirit rather than having spoke through his word. Well, as I quoted last week, he, he considers people that just study theology and the Greek language and understand relationships of phrases and authorial intent and, and, the, and so on. Are, are soulish. Right. Knowledge, knowledge, head knowledge, seeking to know and understand these things. And he, in what I read just last night, he keeps coming back to that. That's being soulish. You're thinking about these things. You're making propositional statements. You're propagating truth. You're being soulish. Right. So the kicker is the only way you can understand these writings is if you try to use your mind. Maybe you'd say, well, that's your problem. You're not getting it. You've got to get the spirit. He goes on and says this about this analogy with the Holy of Holies. Only man's regenerated spirit and not the mind, emotion, or volition of his soul, and not his body either, is fit to be God's dwelling place. So. Wow. Yeah, so. You're not fit, your body or your mind, only your spirit is where God can dwell. But even God took on flesh and was well, born of a virgin. Rejection of what Paul teaches. Right. Okay, Paul argues that because you're indwelt by the spirit, you should live accordingly. Right. And the whole person... That's why the whole intent of that verse they depend on, on body, soul, and spirit, is that your entire person would be sanctified. Okay? That's right. And that's what God does in us. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we are sanctified. And we do change, and we do grow, and we do walk in the Spirit, but God does that in us. It's not because we've found our spirit somewhere and have learned to channel these things so that we're walking in the spirit and not the flesh. It doesn't work that way. Well, let me just read some more knee. Okay. He says, why is it so important to understand that the Holy Spirit dwells in man's innermost depth, deeper than his organs of thought, feeling, and decision? Because unless the child of God perceives this, invariably he shall seek his guidance in his soul. Okay, now listeners, keeping in mind that in Nee's system, the soul is the flesh. That's bad. Well, so you're making decisions, you're studying, a theological issue comes up, and this happens all the time. This critical issues commentary exists to help people learn theology and apply it to things that they're hearing, or, you know, or things that have deceived them, or learning what God's word says and how it applies to their lives. And it takes our mind to do that. Okay. We're not telling people to get some 
uh, metaphysical impression from their deepest innermost holy of holies and that metaphysical impression is going to somehow bring them to some sort of spiritual heights that they have never been able to achieve because they kept trying to use their mind. Right. This is just utter absurdity. So, but that's what he's saying. So seeking guidance in his soul. Well, how can you do any kind of gu guidance means go this way, not that way, do this and don't do that. How can you evaluate anything without using your mind, which God gave you to make the evaluation? And how can and that, you renew to the spirit of your mind and be learning to have a Christian worldview from the Bible and then say, well, you really can't be using your mind. But here's the kicker. I'm going to keep quoting. Okay. okay. 15, the spiritual man. Okay. So seeing guidance in your soul, which includes your mind by his definition. Next sentence. With understanding... He shall be delivered from the deception and error of looking to what is outward. So he tells us not to use our mind and says, no, with this understanding, we're going to be delivered. What's an understanding if it's not an understanding in my mind? Right. I, this is nonsensical. Jessica. <laughs> I, I maybe, here's me using my mind to determine that makes no sense. It's, it's like Eastern religion. Uh, like one thing I read back when I was in seminary by some promoter of Eastern religion, the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> right. Okay. They love to create these magical, mystical enigmas, but it's just utter absurdity. Right. And when you told me that, there's a Watchman Nee Facebook page with all these people on it. Right. It was something like 20,000 followers. That's unbelievable. You yeah. know, about the time I think, well, that was from, I was reading this in the 70s. Thankfully, we got away from that. It comes back and a whole new generation of people falls into the same deception that right. God graciously delivered me out of. So we got to go back and warn them. Don't listen to this. Uh, I remember one guy saying, well, this is sublime nonsense. <laughs> That's, you know, and there are moments where some of these things sound spiritual, but when you really examine it, that's what it is. Sublime nonsense. Exactly. Well, so then, ironically, Watchman he goes to Hebrews 4.12 as a proof text that we have to necessarily distinguish between the soul and the spirit in order to be truly joined to the Lord with, in a fruitful way and be the spiritual man that uh, supposedly we have to be. Let's read Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12, okay. I have to happen to have it with me here. All right. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, this is oh. talking about the power of the Word of God. Right. It's not something we are doing. 
It's telling us the word of God can do what we cannot do. Amen. That's literally what it's trying, what it's actually telling us. So it's the exact opposite meaning of what Nee just said. He says we have to do it or we'll be a soulish man. So let me just go on. We, so the first part is knowing that somehow our spirit is totally separate from our soul and body. But let me quote some more. Initially, such dividing may simply be a matter of knowledge, but it is essential that it enter the realm of experience. Otherwise, it shall never, uh, in fact, never be understood. All right. You want to know why I was confused for five years? That's confusing. Okay, what does understood imply? You know the meaning and implications and right. the applications of whatever it is that you, that's being taught. Let me quote me some more. This is where this higher order pietism. I really cannot stand pietism. <laughs> it's the besetting sin of American Christianity. It if sure is. Some sort of higher order, pietistic, I'm holier than thou. I know something you don't know. I have a better whatever Christian life, better spirituality, and here's how it is, and I'm going to give it to you. Well, then you're not going to get an audience in America because America is a pietistic religious uh, environment. It and is. Back to Finney, for example. Finney, I wrote about him. He was a wicked heretic in his doctrine, but yet he's considered a great revivalist. Right. That's how messed up Christianity got in America. And I quote Finney in some of my articles about this. Yep. He said, everything is just a natural use of means. Nevertheless, let's go back to this. Back okay. to me. Quote, believers should allow the Lord to introduce this cleaving of spirit and soul into their practical walk. Not only must they seek it positively with consecration, prayer, and yieldness, yieldedness to the operation of the Holy Spirit and the cross, they must possess such experience, actually possess such experience. Knee. Their spirit needs to be liberated from the soul's binding enclosure. Okay. How is that going to happen? And why don't we find any instructions on that in the Bible if that's what we're supposed to do? He claims that this material came to him by direct revelation from God. Wow. Friends, that's important. That goes... That, uh, so like, many heresies all come from this extra-biblical revelation from God. That's why we stand on Sola Scriptura, that if it's not there, we can't trust it. Absolutely. And see, that's the whole kicker of this. He's claiming, based on a couple proof texts taken out of context, that it's utterly necessary for our Spirit, if it's indeed different in the soul, which is not even clear in the Bible, somehow be distinguished from the soul and have some sort of spiritual life that's innate to the 
and necessary in the spirit joined to the Holy Spirit and be liberated from the bondage of the soul, but the soul being the mind, will, and emotions. So how is the human person going to go through life as a Christian and our mind somehow isn't important? Our emotions probably going to get us in trouble. Our decisions of our will, which, by the way, is part of the ridiculous absurdity of me, because elsewhere, when he talks about demons inhabiting Christians, which he makes a big deal out of, he says the reason the spirits get sway over Christians is because of the passivity of the will. Wow. Yeah, so really... I quote that in one of my articles. Was that the pigs in the parlor? Yeah, well, that article, yeah. issue 78, a lot of people have read. Yeah. I pulled me in there. And so yep. the spirit is trying to get liberated from the soul, which is mind, will, and emotions. But if your will isn't strong enough, then the demons are going to come and get you. And, you, and so they, because they're going to be working in you. And so you get into this magical mystery tour of the human psyche vis-a-vis -vis the spirit world, the Holy Spirit, the human spirit, the demons, the, the soul, and you're supposed to dissect your way through this like a knife cleaving between soul and spirit and gain understanding. Somehow your mind's not involved with it. It's some kind of understanding that the mind doesn't get the soil. And ultimately, you become the spiritual man, and you're liberated. And I, to my shame, I spent five years trying to do this. Wow. And you can say, if you're out there and you're a knee follower, well, that just shows you, see, no wonder you're like the way you are now. No, I'm Look quite, at you being soulish. I'm quite happy uh, knowing the truth and believing God's promises and, and walking by grace through in faith and trusting him and not introspecting, trying to figure out where my spirit is. And I'm not saying this simply because I failed. I don't know anybody who ever didn't fail. Yeah. I don't know anybody who ever followed me that didn't end up confused and hopeless and sorrowful. I didn't, I didn't see it. I don't know who the role model is, but the fact is this is, nonsense. And if it were necessary, dear saints, if it were necessary, he says over and over again, it's absolutely necessary that your spirit has to be distinguished from your soul. And we have to learn how to follow our spirit and not the dictates of our soul or body or mind or all of those components he talks about. But as Jessica said, there's no instructions in the Bible about how to do this. None. There's nowhere. There's no explaining of it. And the passages that we did look up last week say that the people who are soulish or don't even have the spirit are not Christians. Right. And under all this, as I was reading through some of these things that you had sent in preparation for today's program, over and over and over, he talks about how the soulish people are very self-centered and man-centered and 
all of these things. And yet he's turning around and making all of our spiritual growth dependent on us. Which, so which is the truly self-centered man-centered theology? The one that makes us responsible for determining all of these things so that we can grow or the one that says God is at work in you working that which is pleasing in his sight. That's a good passage. Yeah. It's We're comforted by believing God's promises, not by introspection. Right. You know, an intro, you've said this many, many times, but looking within ourselves will only ever be depressing. But somehow they claim to have something the rest of us don't have. Let me close some more knee. Okay. Quote from The Spiritual Man, Volume 2. Only, only, says Nee, after experience, says separation, that is between the soul and spirit, do Christians come into possession of a genuine sense of cleanliness. They, then they know that not sin alone, but all which belongs to the soulish is defiled and defiling and ought to be resisted. Let me stop right there. Not sin alone. It isn't sin we need to get rid of. It's the function of the soul itself. All that's soulish is defiled and defiling. Your mind, your will, emotions. If you do have victory, and when you're making your choices, you're choosing things that are pleasing to God because God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And you choose to learn and study the Bible and to fellowship with Christians and to pray and to seek God and to do the things the Bible said because by God's grace, that's what you want to do. Knee is suggesting that if you don't somehow have this cleavage between your soul and your spirit, which are, again, is impossible, then you're still defiled, even if it's not sin. So There's even no- after we've been redeemed and born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Not good enough. Wow. That is you're a startling still, claim. You're still carnal. And see, it's hopeless. And see, I, the group I was with had gone to every possible extreme to try to achieve that. As I said last week, everyone sold their houses, turned the money in to the leader of the group. Everyone gave up their jobs. People in college quit because college was educational Babylon. Everybody with a job quit because the job was economic Babylon. Everyone that went to ordinary churches left because the church is a religious Babylon. Wow. Having gotten rid of everything and spent our time constantly fasting and prayer and seeking spirituality, reading Watchmen Nee books and other things, in the end, that group just blew apart in 1980. Yeah. We had to go out and try to find jobs, education, try to figure out a way to raise our families. Because our little experiment with a deeper Christian life blew apart and ended up coming to naught. And it left a lot of wounded and hurting people in its wake. Because even doing what is good and right was considered soulish and unspiritual 
and unpleasing to God. And I remember the more serious people took it. Later, I got to admit, I started getting, and just because my daughter, so she was around, but pretty little back then. Mm-hmm. I got started getting cynical about it and said, you know what? Nuts to try to be spiritual. I went out, we had all these broken cars. Nobody was fixing them. So I went right. out to be a mechanic so I could get out of there. Yeah. You remember me out in the garage? Yep. You and you and. Fix brakes, <laughs> pull out transmissions. Because in the garage with grease, there was hope that we could actually be normal. Yeah. The spiritual ones sat in their rooms and prayed 24 hours a day. Wouldn't let their hands get dirty with grease from a car. But I couldn't stand it. I remember I was also in charge of the garden, so I'd grow fruit. Yeah. If the rabbits got in there, this literally happened. I had to keep repairing the fence, try to keep the buddies from eating our lettuce. The, the one lady in the kitchen said, well, you're a sinner. God's angry with your sin. How's that? Wow. Because the rabbits are eating your lettuce. And I read a book by these evangelical sisterhood of Mary and the rabbits were eating their lettuce, and they repented, and the rabbits wouldn't eat their lettuce anymore. Oh, no. Well, I happen to remember the apples were full of worms in the orchard there, too, so we must have had some other sin going on. It went that way with everything. No matter what I did, if I was using my mind, oh, we got aphids, so I got to dust the tomatoes. No, if you repent, the tomatoes would be fine. If you didn't, the bunnies, don't worry about them. They won't eat if you repent. But what am I repenting of? Or are you claiming to be sinless? Well, no, but I, oh, this is impossible. We've got 40 people living here that need to be fed, and I'm trying to run this garden, and you're telling me I'm a worse sinner because the bunnies eat my lettuce, and there's something deficient with my faith, and I need to repent. Finally, I said, you know what? Nuts to this. I'm going to go fix the fence. I'm going to dust the tomatoes, and we're going to have lettuce and tomatoes and beans and radishes and all that stuff, and I'm going to fix the cars. We're going to have cars that will go down the street, and I don't care if you think I'm a sinner. It was getting to be the end, and I'd had enough of it. You know what? I can live with everybody thinking I'm not spiritual, but I can't live with spending 24 hours a day trying to be spiritual, trying to follow the Spirit, trying to repent, trying to do all this stuff they're telling me I have to do. And in the end, it all comes down to I didn't repent enough because I live in the same fallen world everybody else does. Well, and and that's just it. And we know from Genesis that now the thorns and thistles will grow and the aphids will eat your tomatoes and... Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen as a kid. I'm sure I was just with mom wherever she was, and they were trying to feed all these people three meals a day. And so us kids spent a lot of time in the kitchen, and there was endless dishes to wash and meals to prep. And it was like, you know, from what I remember, it was like a restaurant kitchen, and there's constant large quantities of food. And there was problems. There was stoves that wouldn't light and dishwashers. We had a, there was an industrial dishwasher there that seemed like was forever a problem. That's just part of life in a fallen sinful world. It didn't mean the kitchen help was sinning. 
just was part of life in this world. Well, it kind of divided up eventually. There were a bunch of people that just went to work and got things solved. Yeah. There were the pious ones who spent all day praying and getting revelations. Yeah. And they looked down their noses at the rest of us. And you know, as hard as I wanted, I kept reading this, I finally just, this is impossible. I can't, end, I, can, I could never do it. Yep. I never, I could never do it. There's no contending for the faith. There's no assurance that you're not a carnal Christian. There's no confidence that, oh, I'm not defiled because I'm using my mind, my will, and my emotions. I don't know if I quoted this, but let me say it once more from Nee. Nee, says Nee, is far more than simply knowing for any contact with what is soulish, whether in themselves or in others, causes their intuitive spirit to feel defiled and to demand instant cleansing. Wow. In yourself or in others. Maybe that's why some of the people were telling me I was the sinner because the bunnies ate the lettuce I planted. They never thought of the fact, and I told them, well, I grew up on a farm and we learned how to grow things. Right. They didn't appreciate that I worked out there in the hot sun to have a garden and I labored over those cars. So they'd go down the street. I'm sure they got in them when they needed to drive. And yeah. it was, well, these hardworking men, they're just the sinners that are oblivious because their soul is defiling everybody. Right. Well, and there's, I mean, God commands us to work. And even Paul, he says, work with your hands and seek to live a quiet life. Well, work isn't bad. In good occupations. Yeah. Remember, well, we quit our jobs to go there and be spiritual. Right. Whereas the, Paul continued his work as a tent maker to not be reliant on the churches for his own support. Yeah. And to be honest, there were a lot of really talented people. And it wasn't all bad. I learned tons of stuff from great yeah. people. There's always somebody there that used to be in a job where they learned something. And I learned from everybody. Yep. And it was enriching in that way. And I also learned that I don't want to be a pietist. Right. Okay. Well, and some of these people, after this all fell apart, went on to be successful businessmen and, and other things. They were really, I mean, I, I have a lot of fondness for most of the people there. I still but do. But some of them, once they got out, did well. Yeah, I still have friends that were in that. And I mean, they went through a lot of hardship. They sold houses at $30,000 in 1972. Only they have to try to buy them back with no money at $80,000 in 1980. Yeah. When the interest rates were over 10% for a house, like 12 to 14%. And they couldn't get a loan. They didn't have a credit history. So a lot of people suffered because of it. But uh, to our listeners, this isn't what is being said. God deals with the whole person. We don't divide ourselves up with some sort of spiritual anatomy to, to be sanctified. We follow God with our whole heart and soul. He deals with the whole person. And here, let me just 
we, we've gone a little bit long, but let me just quote a few things to just give you a buffer. Maybe some of you know people that are into this stuff and they attack you and tell you, tell you you're not spiritual. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't tell a hardworking farmer you're a sinner because the windstorm knocked your crops down. Don't do that. Right. The fact that they're using their bodies and their minds doesn't make them soulish or carnal. They're doing what God told them to do. God deals with us as a whole person. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The answer ends up being only God who can cleanse the heart. Amen. So Jeremiah is talking about the whole inner person, not just the soul versus the spirit. So I hope we, if I spared anybody from going through this, trying to follow this Watchman Nee stuff, it would be worth doing this just for that. Amen. Well, friends, if you want more information on this topic too, issue 137 at CICministry.org. Um, talks about this and some other false uh, systems of sanctification. And my favorite heading, actually, I'm going to call it a quote from that article, but it's one of the section headings in CIC issue 137 is false teachings cannot sanctify. <laughs> so rest in the means that God has given us, rest in the good work that he's doing in you and trust him as you sit under the means of grace. He's sanctifying you. He's transforming you. He is working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, and you can rest in that. So for Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus and Bob DeWay. We want to remind all of you out there, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. We'll yeah. see you next week.